you will turn with me in your Bibles, because as we look at this great and mighty subject, we must recognize that we must only hit the high points of it because it is so vast and it is so mighty and it has so many parts and pieces to it. But today we're going to look at one of the condensed portions, we call it, of the Olivet Discourse. And that is in Mark chapter 14. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me, and there it will be that by God's grace and his power, we want to draw a few lessons this morning as we consider this great truth of the Bible that Jesus Christ is coming again. When you look at the course of human history, we could define it in different ways, but we could consider just for application three major mountaintops. The first mountaintop we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God moved. The second mountaintop we can find in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the third mountaintop that we're going to be looking at this morning, just gazing at, you must go home and be challenged deeper here, is this great truth of the Bible that Jesus is coming again. It is a guarantee. You can take the Bible, you can open it, you'll find it everywhere. This is a teaching of God's word that is intended to change and turn the hearts of his people toward him. It creates within us a lively hope. It purifies our souls when we look into this portion of scripture. Now, as we'll begin looking, it says, as he was going out of the temple, Mark chapter 13, verse one, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And there it was, the temple that stood in all of its glory, still under construction, began with Ezra and Zerubbabel. And then it was left go and it stayed there at 40 yards wide and 50 yards long. Stones were brought in to build that temple that were 50 yards wide, 25 yards high. And there it was, this great temple that the Jewish people stood in awe of. Some stories would say, and I believe it was Josephus would say, that some of the stones were so white and so pure that when you looked at them and when the sun would shine in the right way, you could not even behold the temple. And on the temple also was faces of pure gold on the outside of the temple. And if you take the temple and the size of the temple and you take our, and you take that entire thing, you've got 41 acres that it encompassed. We've got four acres here. This is the church. This is the parking lot. This is all the way over to the care facility over here to the east. That's what we've got is a little over four acres. You could drop 10 of our churches inside the temple. And this temple was amazingly uh, magnificent. It was one of the great wonders of the ages. And here it was, the disciples saw this as, surely it must be something to show Jesus. And that's why he said, look at this, Lord. Look at this temple. 
And Jesus said to, the, to him, do you not see these buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Jesus is saying, everything that looks so glorious to you is coming down. Jesus, one time in speaking of the temple, he spoke of his own earthly body. And he says, I'll raise this temple in three days. They said, how could you do this? This temple in its all completion was, they spent more than 80 years working in this temple. And in AD 70, Titus came in to overthrow the city of Jerusalem. And there it was, he told the people, don't touch the temple. The temple is holy. But the Roman soldiers were so incest with anger. And in the, in the, Height of war, they went into the temple and destroyed the temple and all of those great built. that entire building in AD 70 came down just like Jesus had said. And Jesus was saying, you see that, that's so great, it's coming down. And I believe there's a great lesson here for all of us that God was teaching that there cannot be temples that are in the hearts of men that rival the glory of God. They've got to come down, no matter what they are. And he says that they will come down so much that there will not even be left one stone upon another that will not come down. Now, you can go over in Israel today, and you will see the Wailing Wall. And that's one of the things that stands out to me, because I believe it's the last standing, authentic part of the temple. And I love to go there because Israel, the Jewish people will go there and they will weep and lament at the wall of their past, of their present, and of their future. But the Lord had prophesied right there and the temple came down. And as he speaks of this truth, he is always speaking beyond the truth. He is speaking of temples that men erect, idols that we raise up to ourselves or to someone else. And he's saying, if your heart is going to be ready, the temples have to go. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. You are not your own. You have been bought with the price. And this astounded these disciples as they were following. Now you think of the people that were there listening. Here is the disciples. Quite a group, really. You know, a lot of times we think they were kind of a a big group of superstars. Really, if you look at them, keep following those guys. They were just like you and I. Stumbling, bumbling, making mistakes, putting their foot in their mouth, saying they'll never do that, and they do it. That's who we are. Churches without the grace of God are greatly dysfunctional. People without the grace of God are greatly dysfunctional. And so here were the disciples listening. The Jewish people were listening. And then the Bible speaks about the scribes and the Pharisees that would come in to these gatherings to listen. And we have witnessed that and experienced that in some upheaval in Israel before, where pretty soon everyone from the wall empties and they come right to us because a man is in front of us calling us a heathen fool. And there's also the Sadducees who do not even believe in a resurrection. And then you've got the Gentiles, you've got the Samaritans, and listening somewhere, sometime, someplace was probably all of those people really who are just like us. I believe it was Herod in AD 19 that said, I'm going to pick that up and rebuild it. 
and he poured his heart into the building of the temple more and more and did all of his magnificent work. But we see it come down and Jesus begins to establish some groundwork for his teaching. He said, there's some things that must come down for you to understand and that you will agree with so you can understand what I'm teaching here at this time. And, he's, and as he was sitting, verse three, in the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John were questioning him privately. And I can just see them going, can you guys figure that out? He says, this thing's coming down. This is a temple. This is all we are. This is us. Does he know how much time we put in that temple? And here it was. They said, let's, let's, go, let's go ask him. You ask him. No, you ask him. No, you ask him. Well, let's go ask him. I can see Peter asking. That's Peter. And here's Peter comes, or let's just, we're, I'm just conjecturing here. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Okay, Jesus, you say this is coming down. When's it going to happen? And how's it going to happen? And really on the heart of everyone, and I would project even beyond the church of Christ in the heart of both believing and unbelieving people is the question, what is going to happen? They lose a family member, but I don't believe in God. I heard a man one time say, I don't think there'll be one. There will be no atheist in hell, guaranteed. They all believed too late. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the disciples here were really saying, Lord, what time is it? Where are we in light of your time clock? My clock says 940. What, where are we in relation to your time frame, Lord? What are these things going to be? You see, we've got 940. But what is the clock that the Lord has today? The Bible says in Peter that God is long-suffering, not willing that any person would perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. But God has a time frame. The word of God says the day of the Lord will come. Peter says this, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will well. God will be true to his word. What God says he will fulfill. This earth will come down. All of the idols of men will come down. And I believe the church is being challenged today. We in this body of believers that Jesus Christ may, must come up to the very highest. But they said, God, what time is it? Well, if I was to ask you what time it is, what would you say? Well, it's 940. I think we got plenty of time. The word of God says that we don't, it says this very often and frequently, if you keep following the context of the word of God, we don't have much time. If you take a man who lives 70 years and you take that entire 70 years I did a quick calculation. Some of you probably say the guy's off, but I come up with 36,000, 36,732,000 minutes, 70 years. Now the Lord said in, in Psalm 90 that the days of our years are three score years and 10. And if, 
if by reason of strength they're fourscore, yet is that strength labor and sorrow. We've got today, we've got this moment. And I believe if you look in the context of the teaching of the word of God on the coming of Jesus, you will see, you will see throughout the teaching that Jesus was teaching, the apostles were teaching, the disciples were teaching, that you just have the moment. God doesn't give us bank accounts for time. I remember I had this, this little plaque that hung in my office for maybe 20-some years that says the clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when those hands will stop at late or early hour. Now is the only time you own. Live, love, work, and with the will and place no faith in tomorrow, because those hands may then be still. What time is it? I think in the course of all of our studies and questions and pursuit of God, all of our planning is this question. You go to memorial service, and we have many right here, and I look out at people that don't believe. I believe the last one, I, they, the sister said, no one here believes. No one. But you know, we're still saying, how much more time do I got? Would you say that we're at 11 o'clock if midnight is when the Lord returns in God's calendar? 11.30, 11.45. This is where the disciples were. Lord, when will this be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And as Jesus does so often, he didn't respond like we would think he would. Oftentimes I think, well, let me tell you, no. Jesus has a different way of responding all the time. He responds through the spirit. He responds in a different way. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, verse six, saying, I am he and will mislead many. He says, I'm going to paint a picture of how it's going to get when I get out of here. When you follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy. Don't buy the lie. Jesus, Paul said it like this to Timothy, everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When you hear, he says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. These things must take place, but that is not the end. And he's saying there's gonna be all this false teaching. It's everywhere. That's why it is so important as we preach from the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you stand on the word of God, you will not get deceived. Prove everything by the word of God. Hold fast to that which is good. Does it follow the word of God? Can I find that in the Bible alone? And Jesus says, you're gonna get these teachers, then you're gonna get, there's gonna be conflict. Look at the conflict we have right now right now in our nation. If I was the president or you were the president, what would you do? I pray that we're praying for our president. We are praying for our leaders and that our president is praying also because this is too big for men. We have created so many things that we do not know how to handle. It, it started as a tool and now it is a power and a force that we do not know how to handle. And only Jesus Christ is the answer. There is no other answer. But Jesus says, you're gonna hear this. And then he says, you're gonna see these nations in conflict, nation 
rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are merely the beginning of birth pangs. You're going to see all kinds of things happening in the world around us. Don't let the enemy get us off track, I believe Jesus is saying. Don't build another temple in your heart that rivals the the temple of God. You know what's amazing about that temple? It came down. But you know in Revelation, the Bible says there's going to become a new heaven. John saw a temple coming down from heaven. And it was 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, 1,500 miles wide. And you know what was on the streets? You got it, gold. In that temple, the word of God says that everyone even speaks of his glory. You see what we've got? The coming of Jesus is more than an event. The coming of Jesus is more than a theological position. It is a reality that we will see Jesus face to face. And he can't wait to greet us. And he can't wait to show us. He can't wait to call us home and say, I cannot wait for you to see what I've got. I believe Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't even heard. It hasn't even entered our hearts the things that God has prepared for those that love him. It does go on and say, God has revealed that unto us by his spirit. And I believe today the Holy Spirit will be revealing a little bit more. But still he gives us clues. He gives us little teeny peak holes we can look through. He gives us little windows. He doesn't give us one big window. Biblical prophecy has always been his interest in the study of my father, myself, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. But you know what happens? We don't know it all. We just don't. There are pieces and parts of this great truth that we must see develop. And as Jesus is speaking here, even, there will be people left behind when Jesus comes that will probably use this chapter like a textbook. They will use Revelation like the textbook. If you reject Jesus and you are here and you are in the face of the earth and time we're going to get at that time, Look at this, because the word of God will just say this, this, this. Seals, trumpets, vials. And out of it all, it is all coming before Jesus returns that final and last time. Verse 9, be on the guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Read just recently, one of the latest statistics is 45 million people estimated have given their lives as martyrs since the time that Jesus came into the world. Christian martyrs, 45 million. I don't know. Some of the places I've worked, I don't know. There's people that are suffering in places like China and places we cannot even imagine that gets no publicity, it gets no press. Other parts of the world, deep suffering, tremendous suffering. And yet, Jesus taught this, that it was going to get much worse before it got better. But it says the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. What does that look like to you? That's been really something that people have got lost in. Okay, some people say it was fulfilled with the apostles. They got around to the known world. Others said that... Other, there was another time in history it finally got out. 
But I want to give you something to think about because it's too big for any of us. But may I tell you a story about a very good friend of mine. His name is Don. He lives in Yakima, Washington, a place that I worked and we worked together for many years. All kinds of projects from orchard projects to spiritual projects throughout the city. You know, Don lost his wife several years ago, and he's no preacher. He's not a deacon. You know what he does? I just had the privilege of working with the man of God for 15 years and watching a man just do what God tells him in the last days because he thought, I can make a difference, be it ever so small, and so can you. You know what Don does? He don't talk about it. He just finds young pastors throughout this town of Yakima praise with them every week. Just praise with them every week. That's what he can do. You know, sometimes brothers and sisters, we're looking way out there for something to do. And the Lord says, I've got something real special. Think of Don. His own wife, when she passed away at his memorial, a young pastor from Venezuela stands there in front of the people and preaches the message and says, you know why I'm here? Because this man right there and his wife would not let go. They just kept praying for me. They believed in me. What does it mean for you? You see, I I love the heart of this church to reach the nations. We are actively involved in that. We desire to get that communication further out to you. It is the call of the church of Christ. But each one of you, one person at a time, can be just like Don, making a difference. There's a big unreached world out there. You can look at the 1040 window that runs at 10 latitude and 40 degrees. You've got 90 to 95% of the people they would say have never even heard the gospel. They've never heard. Someone here will be going if we're listening to God. They have never heard of Jesus. They don't even know. It runs through India. It runs through China. It runs through North Africa. It sweeps down to the islands. And they've never heard of Jesus. But the word of God says that this gospel will be preached to all nations. If you notice, he continues here and he begins to describe that which is happening. If you look at this, you'll see this. It really is depicting a lot of what even the church goes through from time to time. Sometimes we have a little window in America. God is blessed with such freedom. This isn't normal. This is not normal life. People are suffering all over the world because they chose to go to church today. They chose to go to church. The first time my wife and I ever went into a church in China, we wept and had Kleenex all over the floor because we saw the passion that heart was, their hearts were so deep. They had to sneak through the doors. But the word of God says the gospel is going to go out. And it's going to get more difficult in some ways, and it has got difficult. You know, they'll say there's, a, there's over 800 million Muslims that have never heard. Hundreds of millions of Buddha that never have heard, never heard. They have never heard the gospel. There has never yet been one person says, Lord, I'll go. I'll pay the price to go. And if you can, we continue on, though, he says, and I'm going to go really relatively quick from this, through this, but I want to look at a verse first in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, because this verse is one that was on the heart of the disciples as Jesus was leaving. If you look at that on the screen, you'll see the heart of those disciples 
and Jesus was giving them radical teaching. So when they were come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? See, they were looking for a king. They wanted someone to come into Israel and to make it right. Avenge their enemies. Beat up the Herods that were ruling over them. Become the king. And here's what Jesus' answer is. It's always different than we first think. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the father has fixed in his own authority. Now latch on to that. God knows we don't. Latch on to that. But you will receive power. Notice this, latch on to this. After When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be given discernment. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other remotest parts of the earth. You know what Jesus is saying? You are my hands and feet. My heart in you goes to others. And I just simply ask us because God works in so many ways what this means to to me. It's a very challenging thing in all of our lives. And as we go, we're going to go quick through this because I want to come towards the end of this. We've got to hit the high points of this great teaching because you can drop off and get diverted and get way over in something else. And and pretty soon we don't get through through the message that God has laid in our heart. But he goes on, he says, you're going to be arrested, verse 12. You're going to be asked to speak before magistrates. Remember, when you're speaking before magistrates, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit giving you the words. Brother is going to betray brother. 13, you're going to be hated by all men. And then he says, I want you to, I want you to recognize there's going to be this other great event called the abomination of desolation. Bad times are going to come, but finally, we have a time referred to as the abomination of desolation. Daniel, the prophet, he refers to this, spoke of this time in chapters 9, 10, and 11. It is a time of great trouble, like the world has never known. It is a time in which an unbelieving world will see the Lord coming and judgment falling. It is a time that's still in the middle of that. It is not because God doesn't love them. He has taken the final step to bring the world to himself. He loves, God so loved the world that he pursues us. He does not let go. He will chase us and chase us and chase us and chase us. And he says, you'll see this. And there will be a time, verse 19, he says, there's going to be a lot of things happen. You're going to have to flee your houses. There will be a time of tribulation such as has never occurred ever before before until now. This is how bad it's going to be. Even to this point, that if God didn't shorten the days, there wouldn't be one person saved. You don't have the ability to resist this, is what he's saying. The flesh of man cannot resist this great force and power. God will even shorten these days. There will be false Christ and false prophets. And Jesus said, but take heed, I've told you everything in advance. Several quick things. These are quick reference points. I cannot divulge into these. Each of these are message after message, study after study. And many of you have a deeper study and comprehension of that than I do. One is the temple that has been destroyed will be rebuilt again. It will be rebuilt. The church of Christ is going to be raptured. 
You will find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll look in 1 Thessalonians 5 in just a moment. The Antichrist or man of sin is going to rise up and do great powers and wonders. He is going to captivate the hearts of the remaining people in this world. He is going to sign a peace covenant with Israel that will begin seven of the worst years the world has ever seen or ever will seen. He will, in the middle of that peacetime, Daniel will testify of this. He will break the covenant with Israel. He is never true to his word. He is a deceiver and a liar. And then chaos will envelop through the entire world. In the Bible, it speaks of it as the day of the Lord, often. It speaks of the time of Jacob's trouble. It takes, speaks of it as a great tribulation. A time like the world has never known ever before or ever will be before. And then it says at the end of this, he's coming back. He's coming back at the end and they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Jesus tells a story in 28 of learning a parable of a fig tree when the branch is tender and when the branch puts forth this leaves, you know, it's summer's night. We don't have figs here, I don't think. Do we have figs anywhere in Arizona? Does anyone? We do. I see hands up here. Great. You know how it is. It all of a sudden that branch comes. I've, I still raised some apples in Washington and you just watch. And one of the things that happens is when you watch that little bud pop in the spring, it's the most exciting thing. And Jesus is saying, when that branch starts putting forth its leaves, I want you to know that summer's nigh. It's getting close. What he's saying is when you are spiritually discerning and you begin to see this, it is going to lively, it's going to strengthen your heart, encourage you, get your focus where Jesus wants it to be, and you are living for Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, or it probably will be on the screen here. Because this is Paul writing. There's so many places that could we could go. This is one more of those windows. He is writing to believers in Thessalonica. But as the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need anything be written to you. For yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You've already seen it. You know that. You have the spiritual discernment. You're reading your Bibles. You're hearing the word of God. You're being challenged in the word of God. But he says, notice this. It's going to come like a thief in the night. And when they, this is the world says, oh, a covenant has been signed. We've got peace and safety. We've got the right man. You see, the church is not looking for the right man. We've already got him. His name is Jesus. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. It says, they will say peace and safety. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. They will not escape. You notice how quickly there's no escape. There's a wave that comes in an unbelieving world. Jeremiah says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm. And this is showing the end of that curse. You brothers, though, notice this. You brothers, you at Calvary, you right here in this church, you blood-bought saints of God are not in darkness that that day will overtake you as a thief. Claim it. Believe it. Lock on it. Don't let anyone take that from you because notice what it says. For you are the sons of light and the sons of day. You believe that also. 
This is what Jesus said. He's not speaking about how I feel today. He's speaking about how the word declares me as his child. You are in light. You are in the sun of day. We are not in the night or darkness, so don't, let's don't sleep as others do. Let us be alert and be sober. Now here comes a challenge to the church of Christ. We're gonna start seeing this at the end of the message. Keep our eyes open. Be discerning. Walk circumspectly. Walk wisely. Be deserting in your choices. Learn when to say no and when to say yes. Because notice as he goes on, here he says, let's not sleep as do others. For those that sleep, sleep in the, do their sleeping at night. Those that are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, we are his children. Claim it. We are of the day. Let us be sober. A call to spiritual sobriety in our hearts. Now, the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of you in different ways. Maybe there's a place even today in my life. I believe a few weeks ago, God spoke to me and challenged me deeply in the area of spiritual sobriety. Just something. It was a call of God. And the word of God said, let's be sober. Having the breastplate of faith and love, claim belief in Jesus, love for him, love for the saints, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Claim this one, brothers and sisters, my friends. If you're not in Jesus today, I pray that you don't walk out these doors today without Jesus Christ in your heart. Because this is what the word of God says is reserved for the children of God. God has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God never intended to hurt the church, even in the middle of trials and sufferings. God doesn't want to hurt. He wants us to have salvation. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. You know, this truth of the word of God we're looking at this morning, this great high point of human history, this one we are looking for, we're expecting, is there for encouragement and comfort and building up and nourishment. I have read this in, in Christian history. But in the early days of the church, many of the brothers and sisters, as they would come together, they would just simply turn to each other and say, brother, the Lord's coming. Look up. Jesus is coming again. Look up. And this message is intended to cause us to look up and be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the disciples, they said, what time is it? What time is it, Lord? And I want to ask you that again, just what time do you think it is this morning? Now, here's what Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, 29. He says, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they have, live as though they have none. What he's speaking about is we are living in a time of being discerning and living with an abandonment for Jesus. Here's another one, Romans 13 and 11, a powerful verse when we're asking ourselves what time it is. Do this knowing the time. Now, this is, he's writing to believers here in Romans. Eventually, Pastor Brett will get to this powerful portion of scripture, that it's already the hour that you are to awake from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer than when you believe. What time is it? 
Salvation is nearer. Jesus' return is nearer. What time is it? Ephesians 5 and 16, one more verse for us as we're asking ourselves the question this morning, what time really is it? Ephesians 5 is making the most of your time because the days are evil. What this is speaking about is redeeming, placing a premium on time that God gives us, that little minute that we have right now because the days are very evil. What time is it? Jesus said this several times. Man doesn't really know. He doesn't know. But here he says it again in verse 32. The day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. Off limits. God knows. We don't know. He's coming again. We know that. He has been giving us little clues of conditions that exist that will come, that will show up more and more and more as we get to the end. But he says, I don't even know. There's a sense we say, we can't say I don't have a clue though, because he's been giving us clues. The whole Bible is him giving us clues. And he says, it's like a man away on a journey, verse 34, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. You know what you are? You got it. One sister over here shaking her head. You're the doorkeeper. You stand there at a powerful, mighty place in the last days. You've got grandchildren watching you. You've got neighbors watching you. You've got children watching you. You've got colleagues watching you. You've got people that you're not even seeing watching you. And the word of God says, you're the doorkeeper. Stay on the alert. Recognize the time you're in is what Jesus is saying here. And he says, then he says it again. Oftentimes Jesus, when he really makes a point, comes back again. And he used that word, therefore, in light of what I've said, here it is, here's my point. Therefore, be on the alert for you do not even know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Now, this is kind of interesting because you notice this, Jesus knew the world was round, didn't he? When he comes back, there will be one place it'll be night, one place it'll be dark. One place it'll be midnight, one place it'll be in the morning with this great thing we call the globe with the sun shining. But he says, look, you don't know when Jesus is going to come. But here's what he said. In case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. But I say to you all, be on the alert. Be watching. We haven't talked about one of the other great mountains of the word of God today, but I think it's only fair that I mention this one also as we come to the end of this message. Jesus says in John 14, chapter one, verse three, don't let your hearts be troubled. And I give this to you all as God's children here, if you're a child of God this morning, because he's going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'm gonna come back to receive you unto myself, that where I am, it's where you're going to be. But there's also something else about that. Jesus was coming back in the person of the Holy Spirit to live within our hearts. 
And that is a great, marvelous thing because when Jesus comes into our hearts and he fills us with his spirit, we do not have fears other people. We can be discerning in the last days. We can be alive. We can be focused. Our hearts can be looking up into the heavens, knowing that one of these moments Jesus is going to come. But what time is it? I'm going to tell you what happened exactly one year ago with Don. Don's 87 now, a great friend still, a great mentor in my life. Didn't, never expected to get put with this guy, and we would just sit in the pickups and talk for hours and pray together. And he says, John, when you come back up north, and we get up there every once in a while, I want to, look at you, go, I want to meet you at Starbucks. I got to talk to you. God's told me to tell you something. You know, you have a little time to think about that. And I was busy, got there. What's he going to tell me? And Don looked at me and he has kind of a faltering way. And he said, I don't really know how to say this. And I didn't know what he was going to say. And then he said, John, you don't have much time. He says, God's told me to tell you. He says, you're 60 years old. And I've worked with you 15 years. And I love you so deeply. But you don't have much time. Because I want you to think about that. Because I've watched the ways God has used you. And I want you to give your heart completely to God in the last days. And I'm going to try to too. But you don't got much time. You don't either. You've got just a moment. There's a song we sung at home called, We Had This Moment to Hold in Our Hand. The touch as it slips through our fingers like sand. And yesterday's gone and tomorrow will never, may never come, but we have this moment today. And the Bible says this so clearly, I'm coming again. It also says when he comes, there will be a separation. Two will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. It's going to be a terrible time for some. And we don't have much time. But I want to appeal to you through the spirit of God, make the most of your time. Redeem it. Let God use you. If God has placed someone on your heart today, if he's given one person through prayer, through kindness, through love, today is the day of salvation. This is the only day we've got. If you'll hear his voice today, today, don't harden your heart because we don't have much time. And may God bless everyone here. And may we continue to look for the Lord Jesus Christ and look for that one great mountain of biblical truth that shouts from the Bible that I am coming again. Don't let anyone detract you from that. Stand on the truth of the word. And every man, John says, that has this hope in him will purify himself even as he is pure. There is a purification process that takes place in the heart and the soul when that lively hope of Jesus coming again is in our hearts. This message has been good to study again. I've spoken on this many times over the years, but I will just share with you that it's just convicting because it's so easy to lose the passion for Jesus' return. And I pray that in this assembly, 
God keeps this alive. In this church, he keeps it alive. In our homes, he keeps it alive. If you are a father, teach it to your children. If you're a grandfather, teach it to your children. If you are in the community working, share that Jesus is coming again. It's a great, powerful, and mighty message of the gospel. And it's going to stand until the day when he comes again and the earth is no more and there'll be no more time to declare this message. But you have this moment. You have this moment of time. Use it wisely and look for Jesus because guaranteed he is coming again. Father, you know, you know everything about the future. You know the time. You teach us in the Bible that it's going to be in the moment, in the twinkling of the eye at the last trump, and the trump is going to sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain, Lord Jesus, will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Dear Lord, I pray today for those that we love so deeply in this community, in our homes, in our families who have not given their hearts to Jesus. I pray for them. I pray for a grandson of mine. I pray for some neighbors of mine, Father. I pray, God, that in the time we have left, we will redeem it. Give us grace, dear Father, to stand in these last days declaring this great truth, and yet more than that, first believing it deeply in my, our hearts. You're coming again. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And, oh, Lord, may your grace be with us as we wait and watch and look for that time. Help us to be like the wise and faithful stewards that choose to occupy till you come again. Help us to be ready, actively involved in your work, realizing this may be the last day, Father. So may you come, Jesus, come quickly. And oh, may no one, no one, we know it is your heart that not one person is lost. But oh, Lord, you have a time. You know the time. And we just pray that we will all be ready for that time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.